What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Okay, 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 folks. We have got a sponsored episode here. I am excited to share that I have partnered with an alternative beverage company called Nope. In case you didn't know, it is Sober October, y'all, and we are keeping things booze-free over here. Whether we are sober curious, sober sober, got a baby in the belly, we're detoxing for fun, or straight up wanting to challenge ourselves. Nope is changing the way we chill one drink at a time with awesome flavors like my favorite mango margarita with jalapeno. And these don't have that funny aftertaste that some of the other guys have. So stay tuned to get my unique promo code. And in the meantime, enjoy this amazing episode and keep Nope on your radar at drinknope.com. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of The No with me, Nikki Spo. I'm so grateful you're here. October 15th is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. And today we are talking with Michelle Valianquinas, an extraordinary mother of two, a 14-month-old son and a daughter in heaven. Today, we are sharing her journey of neonatal loss and discussing the foundation she started, the Colette Louise Tisdall Foundation, to provide financial support to families experiencing high-risk or complicated pregnancies, premature birth, NICU stays, or loss. Michelle's story is more common than many people realize, and today we are getting into the feelings, experiences, responses, and realities of perinatal and neonatal loss. This is a conversation we could all benefit from listening to. Let's dive right in. Michelle, welcome. I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. We are both members of a Working Moms networking platform, and in the short time I've been utilizing it, I got to hear your story, and I just knew it was something that had to be shared. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Today, we are discussing a difficult topic that far too many people are familiar with but don't often speak about. We touched briefly on it in episode 10 with Sloan Spanierman, and today we are going to dive deeper into the topic of perinatal and neonatal loss. I really appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness to talk about this subject, and I am so sorry for the loss of your daughter, Colette. Thank you. Thank you. I imagine that the subject of perinatal and neonatal loss might get some attention within the community of people who have actually experienced it, but probably not so much in the mainstream. And it's most likely because it's such an uncomfortable topic to address. And for many who have not experienced perinatal or neonatal loss firsthand, like myself, we don't always know what to say. And from what I've learned, in a weird way, that kind of redirects the discomfort in a way that isn't always pleasant for the person who actually experienced the tragedy. Today, we are going to try to shift that. We're going to try to have the hard talk so that one, people who have experienced this might feel less alone. And two, to try to give some insight to people on, quote unquote, the outside of this reality. Unfortunately, it's more common than we realize. There are roughly 24,000 perinatal stillbirths per year in the U.S. And though the, the percentage is low, the number of neonatal deaths, meaning that the baby has lived past seven days, occur in about four of 1,000 births. And that's not even considering miscarriages. The numbers for miscarriages are so high. 
about 10 to 15 pregnancies out of 100, which is 10 to 15%, end in miscarriage. I bring up these stats to show that this happens and we likely all know someone, whether they've shared it or not, who has experienced this. Michelle, are you willing to tell us about your experience with your daughter, Colette? Absolutely. I want to first say before really diving into Colette, I experienced you know, loss in a couple of different forms. Um, so infertility, which is its own, you know, series of smaller losses, miscarriage, and then um, finally got pregnant with our daughter, Clut. It was our third round of IVF, our seventh or so fertility treatment. Other than having just morning sickness, but all day long, things were good. It was a normal pregnancy. It seemed fine. No real issues. When I was 21 weeks pregnant, I went to a standard OB appointment and my blood pressure was 188 over 110. Normal is 120 over 80. My OB said, "I, you know, you need to go to the hospital. You need to get checked out. I went to the hospital and was admitted And really thinking I was admitted for a night or two. It was late in the evenings, around midnight, if not later. My OB's partner finally came in and said, has anyone sat down and talked to you about what this means? And I said, no. And she said, you're going to be here until you deliver. And so just for context, that was the the night of May 8th, and I wasn't due until September 7th. Um, that's a huge amount of time. A million and one things floated through my mind. I had left work totally expecting to be back at work the next day. We didn't have a car seat. We didn't have like the nursery set up. We didn't have like anything of that nature. My health, her health, all of that stuff is all floating through my mind. And I even remember the OB saying to me, do you have any questions? And I was like, I can't even formulate a question because I had so many. That was really eye-opening to me of how quickly things could turn and how quickly things could go from feeling normal to all of a sudden in crisis. I was in the hospital a little over three weeks before the doctors recommended delivery. And so Colette was born via emergency C-section at 24 weeks and five days. Normal full term is 40 weeks. And whisked straight off to the NICU. So it would be hours after her birth before I would be able to actually see her. When we actually saw her, she was very tiny. She was just barely over a pound, was in an isolate um, in NICU. It was hard to see that. The vision you have in your head of what your kid is going to look like is not that. Living with that and and really trying to understand what that meant. Ultimately, Clet was in NICU for nine days and that was just a roller coaster. We would start off a day with great news and then by the end of the day, things had turned and it had gone bad or the reverse. Ultimately, after nine days, her lungs were just too underdeveloped and her body just couldn't withstand life. And so we lost her. In that comes a whole lot of unfamiliarity. We knew we would have a long stay. We knew that it was likely she would have medical issues for the rest of her life and or disabilities. We didn't ever think when she had gotten past those few days that she could die. And that was really something that took us by surprise. The aftermath of it, at least for me personally, and I know that I've heard this from a lot of other lost parents, is that was the most isolating experience of my life. Like you feel like nobody else has ever experienced this. This was our first child. You start to think like, okay, I'm a, I'm a mom, but I don't have a living child. And what does that mean for me going forward? And will I ever have a living child? What I found was all of a sudden, once I was a member of this like club, right. all these people came out of the woodwork to tell me their own stories. Wow. And 
that was something helpful in a lot of ways, but also like, I just wish I had known about this prior to this so that I didn't have those initial, like, what do you mean this happens all the time? And then I just felt like supported. (sighs) Michelle, I can't, I honestly can't even imagine. And you know, in the time that I've gotten close to women in my life, I've heard this more often than I've wanted to hear it, you know? And it's scary, it's sad, it's overwhelming, you know, and people like me who've not experienced it, like it's it's very difficult to relate other than just having complete empathy. It's not pity, but it is, I am sad for you, for your family, for what you have endured. And, and I realize I can never understand those feelings, but I know that I'm here. You mentioned before um, that you went through your IVF cycles and you had been trying for a while. Though. Was your pregnancy high risk? My pregnancy was not really considered high risk um, other than my age. I was turning 36. In terms of just age, um, I was kind of considered high risk and I had had a miscarriage. But other than that, there was no real indication that anything was to be derived from this. With IVF, there is a slightly increased risk of um, things like preeclampsia. The thing that they don't know is it that the people who would have a higher risk anyways are the ones who typically end up in IVF treatment. And so then naturally it just would have been just that group of people were already at risk. Or is it something to do with the process of IVF. Um, and they've yet to determine which one it is. So what were your emotions during the pregnancy? Excitement, joy, anxiety, fear? All of them. I had some spotting a little bit earlier than I had miscarried. I decided to call in sick to work and really just have a day where I could just be at home and relax and hopefully stop the bleeding. And the bleeding did increase. So I remember having this complete fear because I majorly bled with my miscarriage and I was alone in a bathroom and it was not our own bathroom. And so when I saw the increase in bleeding, talk about PTSD, I had never really understood what PTSD was until that moment where it was like, I might as well have been back in that bathroom, even though I was at home and it was, you know, not the same thing. It really just felt like I was back there. Ultimately, that was fine. I was on bed rest for the weekend and I on Monday, I had a scheduled ultrasound. Everything was fine. Everything was good. I think that first trimester, I definitely was on edge and just very nervous about everything that I did. At the same time, I wasn't telling people yet. That's really like hard. It's like you're you're managing all of this, you know, emotional and physically. Like physically, I was exhausted. I was just trying to manage all of this at a time when I think there's a societal pressure to not tell yet, which I have such issues with anyways that we put this pressure on it because I think, you know, you share it when you want to share it and whether that be as soon as the the test is positive or whether that be at week 38. I mean, whatever it is or anything in between. That was really tough. And I think there was a definite sense of relief when we made a pass the first trimester. Things were going well and we were excited and we started planning some things. We had gone and picked out some nursery furniture and all of that. That was a whole process of, you know, being excited, planning for it. It was a variety of everything after any loss trying to do it again is just terrifying and exciting. There's fear and there's anxiety and there's joy and there's hope and all of it into one. Roller coaster of emotions too, right? Like yeah. and when you go for it this, the next time, you're like, 
you want to be happy. You probably really do want to be happy and you are, there's a part of you that is legitimately happy, but then there's this underlying like fear of having the rug pulled out from under you. Like, like you don't feel safe being happy almost. Right. Colette came into the world early. What was your experience having a baby in the NICU? It's its own world. It's very jarring. I thought I was prepared for it. My sister was a preemie. She was born eight weeks early um, and I was four. And I remember a lot of that. And so I thought, oh, I know what a NICU's like. And and okay, I can do this, right? And I've seen other NICUs. The first time I got to meet Clet, you know, they finally re- wheeled my bed in to see her. Um, and I remember thinking just how small she was and everything. But the whole environment didn't really occur to me until I went in the next day. And this was pre-COVID. You are washing your hands like crazy. There's a lot of machines. There's a lot of gear, a lot of noise of like, you know, beeping of machines. You're sort of thrust into this world where this is your child and you are parenting your child, but you don't know all the things that are happening with your child, right? Like you're very much relying on medical professionals. That's not the experience that, you know, a normal, healthy, pregnancy results in. As a parent, you almost feel like you're visiting a child that's being taken care of by somebody else. There's encouragement in NICU to reach into the isolate, to talk, to do all of that. But nobody tells you like really what that feels like. Yes, I had all this love for for my daughter and I was thrilled and I was excited. And, you know, it was the first times we're in the NICU when I was called Colette's mom or are you mom or, you know, things like that. And that was incredible and lovely. But it was also really hard to like look at this, you know, little tiny person and think, I, I, I don't know how to connect. Real hesitations and fears about touching her because she was so little. Kind of like that porcelain doll that you don't really want to touch too much because you're afraid it's going to just break. And yet at the same time, I was being encouraged to do so. And all at the same time, too, that I was recovering from major surgery. And it's a weird experience to have. Did you stay at the hospital the whole time? Our hospital did not have rooms available for parents or anything. So I was in the hospital for about three days or so after delivery. We went home. We were about 15, 20 minutes away. That felt like really far. And I think we made it all of probably two minutes um, before I started like just completely stopping of I had left my kid behind and this was not the way going home from the hospital was going to look to me. Just remember thinking I was a terrible mother because I had left my child. That's a common experience that parents have. It's like, you're not supposed to leave your child. Michelle, I'm so sorry. And I think you know today that you are not a terrible mother. Yes, I I do. Although I will say that that's difficult after loss too. You know, it's difficult to not take that self-blame. You know, I think I'm much better on that, but there are still days where it feels like, what did I do wrong? We don't have a really good reason why it happened. With that unknown, there's a lot of room and a lot of space to add in that blame and that self-doubt, wondering what if, and that's hard. Yeah. I read, I read something recently and it said, like our feelings are real. Like the experience of our feelings is very real, but they're not always the truth. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't like whether it's true or not doesn't really determine how it affects us, how, how experiencing the feeling affects us in our lives. I suffer from anxiety, right? Like my anxiety itself is very real. The things that I'm having anxiety towards, that might not be the truth, right? Like the world is, might not be ending for me, right? But in that moment, that's what it feels that's like. That's what it feels like, right? Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. So how are you supported in those days? I will say that I am married to one of the most incredible men in the world. We very much turned into each other. I really think that we totally bonded and and just grew closer after um, losing Colette. And that was our experience. But on the same, like the same exact thing, I can totally see it being the complete opposite and it tearing a, a couple apart. He was wonderful. I have an amazing sister who is my best friend and she was really great with it. So one of the things that's interesting about losing a child is how people react. Just as much as I had friends who weren't really there for me, then there's people that come out of the woodwork and just are amazingly supportive. I also, I needed to know other lost parents and I needed to know that some of the feelings I was having were not just me. We did seek out an amazing uh, support group in that I have a group of of women who I consider amongst my closest friends. And these are people that I've only known in the last three years. So October 15th is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Day. It's a tough day for a lot of different reasons. And in 2019, I had a particularly bad day. So I also suffer from anxiety. There was just a lot going on and I ended up in almost complete panic attack. Luckily was with my husband. And so he spent the day with me and everything, but it just never, it was just always sort of like brimming below the surface. And we had our support group that night. And when we walked in, I just felt like the world had sort of just like left and like I was okay. I was with my people and everything was like going to be okay. And it was just, just even that step in, you know, really did it. My friend Sloan always says, and now I always say, there's so much power in community and there is healing and shared experience, right? Knowing that you're not alone in this feeling. Do you think that fathers feel supported in the same way as mothers? My husband Mark's experience was and when he went back to work and he said, I'm, I'm so tired of people like coming up and sort of whispering to me and really saying, and how's Michelle doing? And he was like, you know, I'm suffering here too. I do think that a lot of men, a lot of fathers feel sort of left out. I also think that there's a very different grieving process for somebody who has carried a child versus somebody who hasn't. Not only did he live with a fear and then the loss of his daughter, but he also dealt with a fear of, and he will say, you know, now he said in that moment, I was afraid of losing both of you. When you're carrying a child, when you're a mom, like you are just thinking about your child. I don't think dad's get the same levels of support when they do share their story. I think there are so many other dads who really appreciate it. Totally, totally. Some of us in the sober community like to celebrate our sobriety with Sober October, but it's not just for the already sober people. It can be for the sober curious or even folks who are just looking to clean house for a month. And to help make Sober October fun, 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 I have partnered with Nope. Nope is an alt cocktail, not your old fashioned mocktail. Nope. We have an alt tail, an alternative cocktail. So I've tried a bunch of these non-alcoholic beverages because I love bubbly festive drinks, but obviously I don't want the booze factor in my life. And my biggest issues with all the other brands is that they all have felt very triggering for me, like too close to the real thing. This though, this is for me and my family. I even got hubby geared up to celebrate sober October with me too. And he begs me begs me to order these things for date nights at home. 
Nope. Alternative bevies give me that craft drink vibe with fun, complex, and layered ingredients for flavors like strawberry basil smash, rosemary vanilla lemonade, raspberry lime ginger beer, and my personal favorite because your girl likes it hot, the quite spicy mango margarita with jalapeno. You know what my favorite thing about sobriety is? The lack of embarrassment and regret. Like, do I want to drunk text my ex? Nope. Do I want to wake up with a misspelled face tattoo? Nope. Do I want to make a drunken social media mistake? Nope. And does this drink have booze in it? Hard nope. When you don't want to drink ever, for the night, for sober October, or you're having a maternity moment, the only explanation you need to give someone pushing a drink on you is nope. Plus, we got a woman-run company here, folks, and you know I love to support the ladies. So head on over to drinknope.com and enter my unique code, the nope for 10% off your first purchase. That's the nope. T-H-E-K-N-O-W-P-E. The nope for 10% off your first order. And stock up, boo-boo, because these drinks are going to go down fast. No funny business, no fuss, no regrets. Drinknope.com. And so you have a 14-month-old now, right? Yes. Yes. And congratulations. After experiencing the loss of Colette, what was this pregnancy like for you? We tried again and we did another round of IVF that failed. When we found out the news, I remember my husband hugging me and crying. And I just felt the sense of like, okay, I'm not pregnant. Thank God. Because I was so fearful. It took me another probably month and a half or so because I was like, I don't want to be pregnant. You just didn't want to like face that again, like, or the possibility. Right. And just being really completely terrified of it. On the way home was the first time I broached it with my husband and just said, I'm terrified. I still want us to have a child. Having a biological child was something that, you know, was important to me at at that point. And so I said, I think I want to do or look into surrogacy. Ultimately, we did go with a gestational carrier. That was an amazing experience and also was some more loss, right? I lost the idea of carrying our child. I'm so glad because he is healthy and wonderful and amazing. And I don't know that we would have, I don't know what would have happened if I had carried. I remember finding out that she was pregnant and being thrilled and then also really feeling that impact of the loss of carrying. And what did that mean for me as a mom? And, you know, would there be resentment or distance or anything between us. I worried a lot about our bond and like, what would that mean? And then I remember having the moment of like finally getting (laughs) to hold him and like within two seconds thinking that was the stupidest worry you ever had, Michelle. Like that was just, none of it mattered. Right. Like we said before, it's like those feelings at the time are real, right? And people would tell me like, that's not the case. And I would know this, right? I had had friends who had adopted and things like that. And it was like, I never worried about their bond and they were great and they, you know, had that. But for some reason, for me, in those moments, that was really like a a great big fear of mine. So when people ask you about your children, like, oh, so do you have kids? Oh, how many kids do you have? What do you say? I'm sure it's a a really tough question. Ideally, I will usually say we have two and I will sometimes say, you know, we have a daughter in heaven, our angel daughter or something to that effect. And then I will talk about our son. But that's not always the case. If I say we have two kids, do I want the follow-up questions about, you know, oh, how did she die? What happened? 
do I want the words that kind of fall flat? At least she didn't suffer. Or she's an angel looking down on you. Or she's in a better place. Or any of those kinds of things. There's also like almost a possessiveness that comes with being a lost mom where it's like, do I feel like you are, you're allowed to know about my daughter? It's this weird dynamic of like, wanting everyone to know that I have a daughter. And yet also sort of thinking like, are you privileged enough to get to know that? Unless you have a very good reception to it, there's a lot of like emotions that come with any decision you make. If I say that, and I say that we have two kids and I I say that, you know, our daughter is in heaven or however I decide to phrase it that day, I get, you know, pity. It turns into like me comforting them. So I don't want to do that. And I hate that. And then that annoys me. And then when I do that, which I do sometimes, then it feels like I'm betraying Clet and I'm forgetting her memory. I don't want to do that. And so that doesn't feel great either. So I absolutely hate that question. Um, And it's so startling to me how often it just happens. It's the easy question, right? If Clet was living, you know, it would be easy to say like, yes, and we have a three-year-old or whatever. But because she's not, it makes it more complicated. Is there a right thing to say? These are always my tips. Show up and be there. Don't hide away. Don't think, I don't know what to say. So just, I'll just stay away. Show up and be there because that does mean something. Just the presence of people means something. Um, just the effort and the reaching out means something. Remove the words at least or just from your vocabulary. You know, there is no like at least, you know, you weren't that far along. You know, there isn't any at least she's not suffering or he's not suffering. There's just no, no at least or just, just remove them. Saying things like, well, at least you can have another. Making it seem like you can just replace a child that you lose. Bringing home a child after loss is amazing and healing and wonderful and also at the same time is super triggering. And there's a lot of trauma and grief in that as well. There's a lot of like, you know, everything happens for a reason. And it's like, yeah, prior to losing Clat, I did think some of that. It's part of God's plan. I hate that one so much. Those kinds of things are not helpful and they're hurtful. I'll hear occasionally, well, at least she's in a better place. And it's like, no. So you're trying to say that being my daughter and and having and being in our home isn't as good. I think also trying to avoid fixing the problem. I think we all want to do that. Let me do this. Let me do that. I had a friend who took me to lunch. During lunch, she kept saying like, well, let's take a trip. Let's take a road trip. Where have you always wanted to go? Um, Oh, let's take a class. And really like at that point in my grieving process, like getting out of bed and functioning was tough enough that to think about, you know, all of those kinds of extra things was too much. And I remember saying to her, like, thank you so much. And I really appreciate that you're so excited, but you can't fix this. Some of the best things that we got in support was just like, I'm here. I have no idea what to say, but I'm here if you need me. That's true, right? Like there are no words that are going to heal the pain. There's just not, right? And that's across the board in grief, but particularly with losing a child. It's very jarring. It's very difficult to deal with it. And so it can't be fixed. And there are no magic words. Just being there. I love you. Saying things like, this just sucks. And I don't know what to say. One of the things that I always loved, my mother-in-law said, I will support you guys in whatever you decide to do next. Not going to have another child. I'll support you. If that is, you're going to get pregnant again. I'll support you. If that is, you're going to adopt, support you, like whatever it is, I will 
support you. And that meant a lot to me because, you know, it was at a point where I just didn't know what the future looked. Just kind of being there and saying, you know, I'm here no matter what, in a non-judgmental, safe, supportive way. Understood. I'm hearing you. And I hope that others hear it too, you know. How have you turned your grief into something positive? We started a foundation in Colette's name. So it's the Colette Louise Tisdall Foundation. One thing that I never really worried about was money. I knew we would be okay financially. But I, I know that a lot of people, you know, we are in the small minority of people who could handle that and not have the worries or the, the general crisis. And so that was something that just really stuck with me from the very beginning. And then throughout the journey, I just kept feeling that. In NICU, one of the things, and, and doctors and nurses will tell you this, I saw moms return, you know, to work just days after giving birth because they will say, you know, a lot of parents choose to save their time for when baby comes home. I knew I was not in a capacity to go back to work. And that was like a common thing. Like we would hear from nurses all the time, like we've got her, if you want to go back to work. And then in loss, when they're asking things like, do you have a funeral home? Questions no parent ever wants to answer. You're not thinking about a funeral home. And one of the things they told us was a lot of parents choose because of cost, they go with cremation over burial because it's a lot cheaper for a funeral home to do a cremation. And if a parent wants to to cremate their child because that feels best to them, then great. If they don't want to um, and they're doing it for money, then that then that's a problem. So we started our own organization. And so um, I run uh, Colette's Foundation and we provide financial assistance to families in crisis in one of those stages. So a high risk or complicated pregnancy, a NICU stay or loss. And you've been able to provide support to a lot of families so far. Yes. Yeah. We're just a little past our three-year anniversary, and um, we're over 775 families. Um, We're nationwide, so we've helped families in 40 states. It's just been amazing to see um, how much need there is out there and just how much, you know, little things of support really do make an impact. It's been amazing. How can these families find you? The website is ColetteLouise.com, and Colette has one L and two T's, or on any social media, so we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, people can reach out to me. So I am Michelle with two L's at ColetteLouise.com is my email. I am happy to to talk to people and people can apply. We are always looking for donations. Our capacity to give is really limited by the dollars we raise and the dollars we bring in. Every little bit helps because it just helps get to a closer point where we can help more families and we can help families more fully. And what advice do you have for families who have experienced perinatal or neonatal loss? It sucks. There are no words. Let your grief, you know, like really feel it. Do what your grief needs you to do. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It's not some automatic healing, everything is fine experience, but there are just all of a sudden moments where you breathe a little bit easier, where you might even enjoy yourself a little bit, and then they those start becoming more and more common. There's a quote that Joe Biden has, who he himself has lost two children. I always love it. It's something to the effect of, I promise you that one day the mention of their name will bring a smile to your face before it brings a tear to your eye. That I think is just like the perfect encapsulation of it. Like that does happen. And it's hard to see it in the beginning, right? I just felt like it was always going to feel like you were kind of drowning and dealing with this. I think when you have those good moments, you feel guilty and it feels difficult. Like why am I enjoying anything in life 
when when my child's not here. But you are here and you are alive and you know you will experience things and you will have normal and happy experiences. The grief doesn't go away. You will think of your child all the time. Nobody stops becoming a parent at any point, right? There's not some magical like, oh, and now you're no longer a parent. You're a parent for life. But you just develop a new normal in which you can balance you know, if there's future children or there's previous children and also holding that space for your child. Our son hears all the time about his big sister. We have a a bear that we use to represent Colette. Um, So it's our cocoa bear. We use it in our family photos and everything. And from the time he was, you know, in newborn photos at like two weeks old, he, in pictures with her, reaches out and holds her hand, holds the bear's hand. Children have this capacity and this understanding that like is beyond anything we can come up with. Making the decision whether or not to have more children. Um, I think there's a lot of worry about losing your child who died. While that is a totally valid worry and a worry that I had, we don't give kids enough credit for what they'll absorb and and realize. Michelle Valiant-Guinness, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I think this is a very important conversation, a tough one for sure, but I'm so, so glad that we got to have it today. Yes, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you to my friends at Nope who have kept me and my family satiated and sober. You can head on over to drinknope.com for a little gifty gift of 10% off your first order when you use my code, the Nope. Isn't that cute? That's T-H-E-K-N-O-W-P-E, the Nope. And yes, ma'am, we are doing big, cute things over here. Go order it up, order them all. And remember what you don't want, a hangover. Over and out, folks. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Nope. I am truly grateful you're in my life, quenching my desire for spicy, festive drinks. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.